even when some of our physicians are telling us this is just your bad luck, I think that women have adopted a mindset that I just have to deal with this. I just have to do the very best that I can and sort of batten down the hatches when my period comes every single month for 35 years and try and survive the storm. And as a result of that, unfortunately, so many women aren't getting the support that they need to have access to the life that they want. And that makes me so sad. That really is the reason why I do the work that I'm doing. Welcome back to the Essentially You podcast, all about reinventing your health with safer, cheaper, more effective natural solutions and powerful lifestyle changes so that you become the CEO of your health. I am your host, Dr. Marisa Snyder. Earlier last Friday, I received a DM on Instagram from a woman named Stephanie, and she felt lied to. Stephanie had been on hormonal birth control for over nine years to regulate her menstrual cycle. And after listening to my episode with Nicole Jardim a couple weeks back, she was floored. That was episode 145 in case you missed it. Stephanie explained how her periods would come and go, and she wasn't sure what was going on. She just knew they were irregular and something wasn't right. So she went to her general practitioner, and when she arrived, without running tests or asking more questions, her doctor recommended Yasmin and told her it would regulate her period, and that was that. Stephanie has been on hormonal birth control due to the fear that if she got off of it, her irregular periods would come back and maybe she wouldn't be able to have children. And herein lies the problem. Stephanie's menstrual cycle was trying to tell her something. Most importantly, trying to tell her that something is off in her body. And it may not necessarily be her reproductive system. It could have been her gut, nutrient deficiencies, insulin and cortisol deregulation, thyroid issues, or maybe even her liver, just to name a few. And instead of digging in to figure out why her menstrual cycle was indicating something was off in the body, her symptoms were just masked with hormonal birth control. Worse yet, she was told not to worry about it, as if the problem would magically disappear on its own. Stephanie's story is millions of women, and it could even be your story right now. It was absolutely my story once upon a time. Hundreds of thousands of women are struggling to get pregnant literally today, and many were on hormonal birth control for years to quote-unquote regulate their cycle. And during all of that time, the root cause problem probably persisted. On episode 145, I shared my personal story with hormonal birth control and why I was put on it at a young age and why I stopped taking it a year later and never went on it again. I'm sharing Stephanie's story with you today because we need to be looking at an integrative way to heal our body, not with a prescription pad. More medications are not the solution. Today, Kirsten Kermerker and I are going to be going deeper into the importance of understanding your menstrual cycle and explaining what is normal and what is not normal. We will also explore why focusing on your menstrual cycle is key to keeping ourselves healthy and fertile. So if we do decide to start a family, we are set up for success. But before Kirsten comes on to share her incredible wisdom around owning your cycle and knowing when something isn't right and how to ask those right questions, I want to share with you a quick resource that I created to support your hormone journey. 
I recently created the perfect little hormone detox recipe cheat sheet with my best hormone detox blends and recipes to support your gut, your liver, and reduce inflammation. These are key elements to ensuring that our menstrual cycle is running like a fine-tuned machine. I'm even going to be sharing with you my hormone-loving green smoothie recipes to get you going each and every day. These are amazing cellular boosters that will help reduce that inflammation and restore your energy. And I promise you will feel so good after literally only seven days of these green smoothies every single morning. And here's why I created this for you. When it comes to having a rescue plan in place for hormonal imbalance, reducing your toxic load is a must. One of the biggest reasons why we see menstrual irregularities is due to a toxic burden. We are being bombarded with chemicals each and every day that target those hormone pathways. So safely removing those toxins and supporting our gut, our cells, even our liver are absolutely necessary. And luckily, it can be easy to do. So if you are ready to create hormone balance with powerful remedies, just grab this amazing, I mean, it's so simple, this quick little cheat sheet of my detox recipe and blends. You're going to find those in the show notes for episode 147 or just go to Dr. Marisa, so that's D-R-M-A-R-I-Z-A dot com slash detox blends. But like I said, I will have it in the show notes as well. Now let's take a moment to celebrate you. Every single day, I hear from new listeners who are recommended by you. One such listener is Liz from Grand Rapids, Michigan. She reached out to me on Facebook and said... You bring on the best guests, most importantly, female guests to the show. Just in September and October, I was going crazy for Sherry Salata, Melissa Ambrosini, and the Betty Rocker. It's one of the most powerful messages that you can bring to the table is a message of worthiness and self-love and showing us how to redefine the way that we think about ourselves. Oftentimes, I listen to your podcast for hormone expertise, but the personal development by powerful women make this podcast so special. Keep up the awesome combination. Well, thank you so much, Liz, for not only jumping on and sharing your win, but I am so happy to be shouting you out today. And thank you so much for pointing out some of the amazing rock star guests that I have been so blessed to have on the show, especially when we're focusing on personal development, because goodness knows we could all use a little bit more self-love, self-worthiness, and really just understanding that we deserve it all. Now, if you're listening, Liz, I would love to gift you a signed copy of the Essential Oil Hormone book with a personal little note from me. Just reach out to me on Facebook where you found me or on Instagram at Dr. Marisa, and we will send it off to you. Now, if you are listening, number one, welcome to the show. This podcast is all about empowerment. And if one of these episodes, one of these 147 episodes have helped you in any way, I would be honored to shout you out too. You can reach out to me via Instagram, Facebook, or simply review this podcast on iTunes because that is where it's at or whatever podcast platform you plug into. That way I can continue to support more women who are ready to become the CEO of their health and take away some of this powerful information, especially when it comes to our hormones, our menstrual cycle, and so much more that we cover here on the podcast. Well, let's jump on to this amazing interview with Kirsten. But before I do, I want to quickly sing her praises. Kirsten Carmarker is a health tech pioneer, a women's health expert, and the founder and CEO of Brazen. She is leading a women's health revolution committed to eradicating PMS and cramping. She contributes to Huffington Post, Mind Body Green, and Goop Magazine. She's also the author of the new book, which is what we're going to be talking about today, 
Seen Red, which is being released by Simon & Schuster literally right now. I believe it is already available. Let's bring her on. Welcome to the Essentially You podcast. Kirsten, it is such a pleasure to have you. Thank you so much for having me, especially right before the book launch. So I'm really excited to really dig into the whole conversation of women's health with you because just between your background and mine, I think we're going to have an amazing conversation. We absolutely are. And I am so excited about your book right now, Seeing Red. And we're going to be talking all about that. We're going to be, we're going to definitely talk a little bit about what's in it. But before we get into that, what we're talking about today is truly what I consider to be empowerment. And that is how to use our cycle as an in instrument of unfair advantage. And girl, I'll tell you what, I grew up and it was never an unfair advantage. It was, it was the thing that was the biggest plight. You know, I grew up in this little Catholic family and my grandma's like, we don't talk about down there. And so I'm really excited to have this different conversation because so many of us grew up that way. And before we get into this, I would love for you to share a little bit about yourself, your story. And really, I consider you to be such a crusader for, for women's health today. Thank you. That, that's such a nice compliment. I, I really appreciate that from the bottom of my heart because I got so inspired about what's happening in women's health, you know, just to back up a little bit. So I was a reproductive acupuncturist for about 20 years in, in Austin, Texas. And during that time, I worked with about 10,000 infertile women. And the work that we did was our version of real integrative health. So what that meant is really looking at menstrual cycle characteristics, temperatures, lifestyle habit diet and mindset and how do those intersect to impact a woman's ability to get or stay pregnant. And so I had a lot of practice during those 20 years. And during that time at the end, I was at a conference once and they were talking about infertility and the epidemiology behind it. And they said, oh, there's, you know, 7 million women who can't get pregnant. This was 2013. And I thought, oh yeah, I know that. And then they said, but there was only 100,000 cycles of in vitro fertilization that year. And I was just, my jaw dropped because I thought, oh my gosh, there's 7 million women who can't get pregnant and only 100,000 of them had an intervention. And I thought, wow, I had been so proud of myself for helping so many thousands of women. And suddenly that just didn't seem like enough. I felt like I'm playing so small. All these years I've been helping so many women, but that's actually just a drop in the ocean of women who are really suffering both with their periods and their fertility issues and all the things that were related to that. And so I wrote this article for Goop Magazine called What Your Period Can Tell You About Your Health that ended up being one of the most performant articles of all time on the magazine, at least at the time of publication. And hundreds of women wrote back to me after that saying, oh my God, I read your article and look, I'm 26 years old. I'm not touching shit called conceivable. I don't want to have a baby, but I heard you know how to fix periods. Can you help me? I'm really, really sick every month. And so, I mean, literally my inbox was completely deluged with this same message over and over. And it was so funny because the two things they always said is like, I'm not teaching shit called conceivable because that was my first software company. And can you help me? Cause I'm really suffering. And I thought, God, I mean, most of the women who came to me who were having fertility issues had a lot of menstrual problems. That was some of the you know primary things that we were working on. But when I started looking at the data around the incidence of menstrual disease in women who are regular, like not necessarily fertile, we don't know if they're fertile or not, but just people who are not trying to get pregnant, the data showed that almost 80% of women reported that 
they had significant and life interrupting either menstrual cramps, PMS, or both. And I, I had this moment where I just could barely speak when I read that. And I said, how, how in the hell can we be in the middle of a women's movement right now? How can we march? How can we stand up? How can we possibly advocate for us taking our place in society for being treated equally when 80% of us are suffering in some way or the other around their menstrual cycles? And there's so much taboo around it that no one is talking about it. And as importantly, so few are talking, are doing anything about it. And that was really the pivotal moment where I, I was like, I can't, I'm not going to do fertility work anymore. If I start earlier and really start educating women about their menstrual cycles and teaching them that we've been conditioned since the beginning of time that your menstrual cycle is a curse. when in fact, it's this really valuable biomarker that we're missing the opportunity if we don't pay attention to it. And so that's really the starting point for me. And, and that's why I became like, I transformed from startup founder to sort of like revolutionary <laughs> because it's a conversation that's really uncomfortable for so many people, even people who are suffering, but it's a conversation that until we, we make it a mainstream conversation, I don't think anything's going to really change in the face of women's health at scale. Absolutely. Kind of a long answer. Sorry. They're always the best answers. Just give really, really give clarity kind of what you had been seeing and kind of the breadth of, of the concern and how we're not really addressing it. We're not really helping women. And I, that's why I'm so grateful that you are doing the work that you're doing. Let's talk about our menstrual cycle because I know that you have a very unique point of view about menstrual cycles and I'd love to have you share it. And I would love to know a little bit more about how you develop this perspective. Okay, so maybe we should start at the developing and then it'll make the rest of it make so much sense. Yes. So like I said, I was seeing 200 patients a week who were trying to get pregnant in my practice. So a lot. And I was looking for ways to sort of systematize the work that I was doing. You know, I started noticing after about five years, okay, all the people who are coming in who can't get pregnant, their menstrual cycles are in the crapper. They've either got too much blood or not enough blood. They've got a lot of pain. They've got really bad PMS. They've got irregular cycles. They don't have cervical discharge, you know, the whole thing. And in addition to that, I started noticing that their basal body temperatures were also the chart, like the visual of the chart was very sawtoothed and that it didn't really have a particular shape. And in conventional thinking around basal body temperatures, you know, it's very light, like we want to see temperature surge four tenths of a point and the rest is normal. But what I was seeing is that the people, when women were coming to me, that wasn't the case. But then after three or four or five, depending on just, you know, how much progress we could make suddenly their menstrual cycles would really start shifting into a very predictable pattern as would their basal body temperature charts. And the more this happened, you just, you know, more and more. And I started using all the signs and symptoms, not only as diagnostic indicators, but then feedback. So for example, if a woman has a lot of clotting in her menstrual blood from, you know, what we borrowed at Brazen, the best thing that we borrowed was our ability to make a Chinese medicine diagnosis instead of a Western medicine diagnosis. So say she has endometriosis, but she also has a lot of clotting. So instead of trying to tackle the endometriosis, if you break the endometriosis down into the sum of its parts, you can say, okay, there's a lot of clotting. Well, where's the clotting coming from? You keep diagnosing back. Well, this person also has very low basal body temperatures, especially after ovulation. And in Chinese medicine, they say when there's too much cold, things freeze which means that they slow down and stop, which means they stagnate like blood stagnation. And so then we found like, oh, as we get their basal temperatures in the luteal phase to come up over 98, the clotting went away. 
when we removed the cold, but in addition to that, then the progesterone levels got better. And so we started noticing relationships between every single sign and symptoms backed up against their basal body temperatures. And while we were doing that, maybe after seven, eight, nine years, what we found was that we actually had a system that was very predictable and that wherever we started, we would identify, okay, this person has 10 or 12 problems. They have PMS, they have cramping, their temperatures are wrong, et cetera. Then we want to identify how are those things related to each other? And then how are those things related to the person's habits? So I always say your menstrual cycle is the reflection of the sum of your habits. And so this is where it stops being a curse and starts being something super valuable. So at some point around nine, year nine or 10, I just made the proclamation, like this is the conceivable cycle, that you have a 28-day cycle, that you ovulate on cycle day 14, you have good cervical discharge, you don't have any PMS, uh, you don't have cramping, clotting, spotting, and you have four days of fresh red bleeding. And again, no, no cramping or spotting. I got out of my order and then I, I forgot. And then the basal body temperatures have a very particular temperature and pattern. And what we found was that the closer our patients got to that ideal cycle, the much more likely that they were to get pregnant naturally, regardless of the starting point, regardless if they'd had five failed IVF cycles, regardless of whatever. And then when we built the software for for my first company for Conceivable, which was basically mimicking exactly what we did in our clinic, but with a software application, we found that when we added all of those pieces of that up and we scored it, we called that the Conceivable score, we thought that patients would have to get to 80 or above to, trend, to, to like move into the threshold of higher pregnancy rates, when in fact, they only had to get a score above 60. And the women who were in the category, it's like in 125 women, so not huge, but not nothing. But that the women 35 to 41, which is one of the trickiest groups of women for fertility issues, they increased their likelihood of natural conception by almost 274% when their score got above 60 you know, while only a fraction of the people who might be listening to this are trying to get pregnant, what we know that is that what we learned from this experience was that every single piece that I mentioned before is related to the other pieces, which is related to your overall health, both your present health, your future health, and your future fertility. And so as we look at menstrual cycles, we look through, we look at them through that lens. How do we find out how these pieces are related How do we understand how they're influenced by behavior and and then customize behavior change so that we can help women and people with periods to understand that actually one behavior change isn't so hard and that it can make exponential changes in your period and your overall health. Hmm. And you just speak to the, our menstrual cycle correlates to lifestyle. And I know that as, as we're hearing that there's a deep knowing that that is absolutely true, right? We know that our hormones are being shifted or being changed because of the way that we're operating in life. What are some of the lifestyle changes that have made the biggest impact in helping women get their periods back on track? Have you noticed any trends around that? We have. Well, it was interesting because from the clinical trial that we did with Conceivable, in Conceivable, the habits we were trying to encourage our patients, customers, I guess it's home customers, um, users, which I hate, were to make sure that you're drinking enough water. So that seems so obvious. And as you hear these lifestyle habits, on the surface, they seem very obvious. But even though we all know these are things that we should be doing, we don't. 
right? We don't drink enough water. We don't get enough vegetables. We typically don't get enough sleep. We don't necessarily eat the right foods for our bodies at this time in our life. And even at this phase of a menstrual cycle and, and also relative to what's happening with our, our menstrual cycle, for example, if, you know, if we get going back to the clotting, say a woman only has one day of menstrual blood and we think, okay, well, we need to make more blood so the liver can function better, but there's also a lot of clotting. And so if you do things to make more blood, you actually end up making more clotting and making the pain worse. So you have to figure out the right order of operation. So to answer your question more succinctly, the things where you can start making baby changes are increasing the amount of water that you're consuming, help, you know, clean filtered water, increasing just the number of vegetables. What we try to do is let make behavior change less complicated and do the things that made the biggest difference according to, you know, the peer reviewed science. In addition to that, increasing, you know, making sure that you're getting at least eight hours of sleep. The, the research actually shows for optimal performance, you need 10 hours. So most of us are not in a maintenance state. Most, most women that I met here are exhausted. In fact, we pulled 3000 women recently at Brazen and we asked them a variety of questions about their cycle and their signs and symptoms. And more than 80% reported that they were exhausted. 80%. And so, you know, there's a whole host of why we're exhausted, but um, sleep for the most part, I think our culture has really indoctrinated us to believe that more is more and working harder is better and makes us more valuable and trying to have it all when in fact our bodies are really suffering and that's getting shown in our menstrual cycles. Absolutely. Thank you so much for that. Cause I know people were going to be wondering, well, what do I do? How do I do this? And definitely, you know, every person's going to be a little bit different, but getting clarity on how important lifestyle is, I think is so, so important. And we're looking at menstrual cycles, most specifically period symptoms, even PMS symptoms, you know, so often we have normalized how women feel, especially around pain. We've normalized menstrual pain. We've normalized PMS symptoms. Can you talk a little bit about that normalization and speak to, you know, your thoughts around pelvic pain, period pain, cramps, and is it truly normal to be suffering and struggling during our period? I'm so happy you asked this question, Lisa, because, you know, one of the the conversations that we're having a lot is trying to help people to understand that while PMS and cramping are incredibly common. Just because something is common does not make it normal. And somehow we've just, even when I speak to some physicians, OBGYNs will say, well, you know, it's just really common. Just like, this is what it means to be a woman. Is some, some women just have bad luck and they have menstrual pain. And that is unequivocally not true. We've seen the data in our own clinical experience, you know, in more than 10,000 women that curated behavioral health changes plus you know, the right diet and in the appropriate supplements when they're, you know, identified can make exponential changes in both menstrual pain, pelvic pain, and even endometrial pain. But what's really fascinating to me is that on social media, when we talk about this, menstrual pain isn't normal. Actually, some people get very angry and there's some attachment to, they're like, well, yes, it is. And you don't know what you're talking about. It's very normal. Everybody has it. It's just what we have to put up with. I'm like, actually, here's the data. I'm like, no, that's not good data. I'm like, that's a, these are Cochrane reports. This is good data that show that you can significantly, that you don't have to suffer. And so I think that this goes back to the stigma associated with menstruation and the silencing that, you know, when we're suffering, basically the messages that we have gotten is that 
a menstrual cycle and menstrual bleeding in particular is very private. It is not something to be discussed publicly. And even when some of our physicians are telling us this is just your bad luck, I think that women have adopted a mindset that I just have to deal with this. I just have to do the very best that I can and sort of batten down the hatches when my period comes every single month for 35 years and try and survive the storm. And as a result of that, unfortunately, so many women aren't getting the support that they need to have access to the life that they want. And that makes me so sad. That really is the reason why I do the work that I'm doing. It is crazy that so many women, well, one, that it's normalized for so long that women don't know that it can be different for them. And we, we tend, I mean, we can kind of get attached and get connected to those theories or that normalization. So I'm so grateful that you address that and, and really kind of address the elephant in the room. I mean, growing up, it was always very normalized for when I was dealing with menstrual cramps or I was dealing with PMS symptoms, that that was just a part of what it was like. That's just how, that's just being a woman. That's just having a menstrual cycle. And I hope that we're able to shift those beliefs and change the way that we should be thinking about our menstrual cycle and, and how our bodies should be functioning at that time. So let's say, I know we've, we've kind of talked a little bit about the lifestyle and we've talked a little bit about how we can look at things. Are there other strategies that you have learned? Let's say, let's say someone is struggling with menstrual cramps and finally has that, that literally that aha moment as they're listening to us right now and thinking, okay, all right, this isn't normal. Now, what do I do? You know, we did talk about lifestyle techniques. Is there anything else that we should be considering? I am a major proponent that our menstrual cycle is our fifth vital sign and that it's a key indicator of our overall health. Anywhere else that we should be digging into, because I also believe that reproductive hormones are downstream hormones and that other things are at play inside of the body that could be causing our menstrual cycle to become inconsistent or to have more significant PMS symptoms. You know, and I just agree too that. I think that we're just conditioned by our experience in Western medicine that we have a symptom and we want to fix that symptom. And so sometimes it's very hard for us to, even when we decide like, okay, I believe that it's possible to not have menstrual pain anymore, but we're so trained to just say, but you know, can I take a pill? And I just want to take a pill to make the pain go away. And, or I want to take birth control to manage my menstrual pain, which I hope we should talk about that. Too. We should, let's talk about that, please. <laughs> Put that on the whiteboard for our next part of the conversation. Um, yes, please. There was just an interesting article in the New York times about it, about um, a teenage girl who doesn't want to have her period anymore. That is kind of front and center in my mind. And so the, I think the first step for that person is to say, okay, well, I, I okay. Now I, I think there is possibility that I cannot have pain without taking, you know, narcotics or taking too much Tylenol or Advil that could injure my internal organs. Then this first step is to say, well, what steps am I, am I willing to take to try to remedy this? And how interested am I in, in really starting to work with my body as a whole system? So sometimes, I mean, all of us have been here, so this is not a judgment at all. Sometimes we're just too busy or sometimes we don't have the bandwidth to really tackle our whole life cycle, our whole you know lifestyle and every single piece of it. So what I usually recommend for people to do is we have at Brazen, you know, we have formulas for PMS and cramping. And I always joke because just having a formula for PMS and cramping is not Chinese medicine. Um, even though these formulas are very good for managing the symptoms. And if you take them over several months, the symptoms will continue to improve. But the real work happens at the behavioral level and the nutrition level, as I'm sure that, you know, you would agree just based on you know, everything that I've read from you too, that 
we can take supplements forever and we can manage symptoms, but we miss the opportunity to figure out like what's going on that's actually causing the side effect of cramping. I always say whatever symptom you have is, it is a side effect of like some inefficiency in the whole system. And so little things like we talked earlier about behavioral health. And so the easy things to just start taking an ant step. I don't even think people sometimes have the bandwidth to get their heads around taking a baby step, but are there a couple of ant steps that you could take? So for example, could you get up in the morning and just walk directly to the sink and drink one glass of water before you do anything else? If when we're dehydrated, menstrual blood is then a little more viscous, which can contribute to menstrual pain. And the hormones need adequate hydration to both be um, utilized and metabolized. And so just starting like, where can I get a little bit more water into my diet? For that person who has a lot of menstrual, to really efficiently know how to address this, you keep asking why, why, why. So maybe this person has a lot of menstrual pain, yet they only have one day of bleeding. And at least from a Chinese medicine perspective, when you don't produce enough blood, one, the liver won't function optimally in its responsibility of utilizing and metabolizing hormones associated with menstruation. But also, it's also then we're like, but why isn't there enough blood? For, you know, if I'm 30 years old or 26 years old and I'm eating a pretty great diet and I'm exercising and I'm, I'm trying to manage my stress and I still only have one day of menstrual blood, then the question is like, well, what's going on? Is it because the quality of food that you're eating isn't iron rich enough to actually produce sufficient blood in contrast to your menstrual bleeding? Is it because some mechanism of digestion is inefficient? Is it because there's some gut dysbiosis? Is it because actually there's so much stress that your cortisol levels are so high that it's impacting your insulin and blood sugar metabolism? And so, so it seems like a hot mess of things to do. But even if you just start asking the questions like, oh, I wonder what are the other pieces that might be related to this? And I go into detail about all of these pieces in the book. So if you get really interested in this idea, you can check out the book and, and get more. Even my editors at Simon & Schuster are like, well, we have to teach them exactly how to do this. And I was like, I can't even sometimes teach acupuncturists to do this because there's a lot of decisions along the way, but we can teach people who are interested enough of a framework to start doing their own detective work and start taking those ant steps themselves to really improve their symptoms on their own. And that's, that's the whole goal. Like they have this um, saying in Chinese medicine, um, the good doctor treats the patient, the great doctor treats society and the master makes herself obsolete. And at Brazen, that's our mission is to build solutions and educational platforms for people with periods such that we can help them unleash from whatever's limiting them from having whatever they want in a way that they don't need us anymore. And they have the resources to go help somebody else. Agreed. 100%. I mean, that's exactly what this podcast is all about is helping women become the CEO of their health. And I love that you really focus on some of those big root causes like stress, gut dysbiosis, other ones like trauma or nutrient deficiencies, or, you know, like, again, if we're not getting the right nutrients in the body, how is that affecting our menstrual flow? And it is, it is a journey. And what I, what is so beautiful about that journey, cause I've been on that journey and I've had to dig into all of that, that by, you know, again, if your menstrual cycle is a key indicator of your overall health, 
Note that when you decide to start working on improving and getting your menstrual cycle back on track, you are healing so many other parts of the body as well. Like it's all integrated. And I just wanted to just mention that too, because I so often we think that we're just, we're just focusing and solving this one problem. You're solving a lot of what's going on in the body. And to me, that is so worth it. Now, you had mentioned the New York Times article that you had seen and that we had been sold a bill of goods that says we don't have to have our menstrual cycle. We could just take a pill. And when I was a little girl, and I talked about this on the last episode, I was 18 years old and I was having irregular menstrual cycles. And my doctor at the time put me on the Depo Provera shot. And the big selling point of that horrific <laughs> birth control was that my periods would go away. And I remember I was getting into college and I thought to myself, I don't have time to do the work. Like I just, yeah. was, that felt like such an easy fix and she was selling it pretty hard. And I signed up for the shot that the shot that's every three months, which is now, I mean, pretty much eradicated. I don't, I don't know who's recommending that at all anymore, but, and then it just led to a spiral of some of the worst symptoms I've ever experienced. So speak, to, let's, let's talk on this because this cannot be said enough. What birth control is really doing to the body and how it is absolutely without a shadow of a doubt, not regulating anyone's menstrual cycle. I think that, you know, I laughed when you said bill of goods, because I was thinking load of shit. Well, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a bamboozling I'm actually speechless because when I think about it, you know, it just angers you. Yeah. It angers me. 38% of women who are on birth control pills, oral contraceptives are doing so for menstrual management. And for adolescents, the risk that that imposes that I have, I, I talked to my, my daughter's 14 years old. So I know a lot of mothers of you know 14 to 16 year old daughters. And I always ask them, Hey, did you know this, that oral contraceptives when given to adolescents triples their risk for suicide? and increases their risk for depression by almost 80%. And I think if every mother knew that there was there is no way that she would risk it. There's no way that she would say like she would say we have to find another way. And and I think there's it, you know it's really difficult because if you're a mom and your daughter is hemorrhaging every single month and missing school and menstrual cramps are the number one reason for school absenteeism for teenage girls and average adult women miss 9 days of work per year because of their menstrual cycles. And yet, and so you get it, you're like, I need a solution. And so when your doctor who you trust says, let's just put you on birth control, it's going to make it a lot better. It sounds like a heck of a good idea. I mean, I completely get it. But what we're missing, like what I saw in my clinical experience was that so many women had that experience when they were 14, 15, 16, 18, 20, and then wanted to have kids when they were 35 or 32. And then they got off the, the birth control pills and then suddenly all those problems that had been going on when they were adolescents hadn't changed. And the causes of those problems had been exacerbated because essentially what we had done is just hidden them behind the curtain so nobody had to look at them. So all those problems had actually gotten significantly worse. And now those women can't get pregnant. Amen. So the reasons that we're often prescribing oral contraceptives for girls are highly correlated with infertility. And so to ignore them when they're young and we have an opportunity to fix them, to me, it borderlines on unethical. And, and here's the thing. I mean, no, should... it doesn't borderline on unethical. <laughs> it is straight 
unethical. If you know that you're prescribing something that puts someone into early menopause for regulating an, a root cause that you're not looking at, that is unethical. I feel you. You're right. And that was why I was so upset with this New York Times article. In fact, I wrote a letter to the editor today about it because, you know, she's saying, oh, it's super easy to, you know, if your daughter doesn't want to have her period, it's super easy. All you do is just, you know, she can either get an IUD or have oral contraceptives. And there's a little bit of risk with bone loss. I was like, what about the important risks? The ones that would make mom say no, the, the, the ones that would make mom say, God, that's really scary. And then especially because the risk for suicide happens after only two months of taking oral contraceptives for teenage girls. We know that girls' brains are not developed, not fully developed at that age. We know that birth control has a profound impact on neuroplasticity and on brain function at that age. And, and I don't think a lot of parents know this. And it really <laughs> correlates to the stats that you're giving right now. Right, because it's all connected. I mean, I think if that's the one message that you know, you and I, if we just went on tour for the next two years and just repeated over and over and over again, like it's all connected. It's all connected. It's all connected. It's all connected. In fact, I was talking to my partner last night and I, he said something, he goes, Oh yeah, he has the hand bones connected to the leg bone. I said, if only our doctors actually believed that, <laughs> that all the pieces were connected to the other pieces, you know, as opposed to looking at each piece in isolation as if, you know, there was no chance that any of them could be related. And this is such a great conversation because I think that knowledge is power. And it's the, it's the place where when we can get other people and women excited about, wow, we've been lied to for a really long time and that's okay, but we have to change it now. And we have to speak loudly and we have to, we have to tell everyone so that we can begin to change the conversation away from this is something super shameful and that we shouldn't talk about it, which is how we got into this situation to, Hey, let's talk about it everywhere. And I'm, I'm always known like people are always like, Oh, here comes Kirsten. She's going to be talking about menstrual blood at the dinner table or whatever. But it was really, and you're like, heck yes. I'm like, <laughs> it's so funny when I was raising money for, for conceivable, when the investors would talk about, you know, they'd want to know exactly how the software worked to improve people's fertility. And I live in Austin, Texas, most of the time. And that's where I was meeting with investors. And one day I met 7am meeting, the investor comes into this restaurant and he's a cowboy. The dude's got a hat on, he's got boots on, he's got a giant shiny belt on, big belt. And he sits down, he's like, well, hello, Kirsten. I heard you're doing some interesting things, you know, in women's health. It's kind of an interesting space. What are we going to talk about, you know? And then the waiter comes over, and I knew this guy was going to flipping squirm at everything that I was going to talk about around menstrual clots and hemorrhagic bleeding and everything. So I looked at the waiter, and I said, we're going to need four shots of tequila. <laughs> and the investor said, well, Kirsten, uh, it's kind of early for tequila, don't you think? And I said, look, we're going to talk about some things that we have to talk about in order to understand what I'm doing, but it's going to make you squirm. And this is just going to make the conversation go that much better. So we did our shots of tequila. I told him everything he invested that day. So that, you know, we have to just be courageous and let people, it's kind of codependent to say like, well, I don't want somebody to feel uncomfortable by me talking about something that's happening in my body. And even in my book, my daughter got her period for the first time this year. She's she was 13 at the time. And, you know, she knows what I do. She comes home from work. And I said, how was school? And she said, oh, mama, I went to science. And then I ate my lunch. I saw my friends. I did this. I did that. Then I got my period. And I said, whoa, 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 whoa. You got your period today. That's awesome. And I started crying. And I was really effusive. And I was hugging her. And she said, mama, mama, I knew you were going to make such a big deal out of this. 
And I, I just took her back and I grabbed her by the shoulders, you know, and I looked her in the eye and I was like, I can be emotional. And I was like, kind of choked up. And I said, it is a big deal because as of today, your body can make a human. This is not an embarrassing or shameful thing. You are the future of our species. And that is the coolest thing I have ever seen. That is so amazing. And we should celebrate. Let's go out to eat tonight. Anywhere you want, anywhere in the city. And she likes good food. And she goes, Chick-fil-A. And I was like, no, baby, somewhere good. <laughs> we want to keep your menstrual cycle working like a fine-tune machine, no Chick-fil-A. <laughs> exactly. And I was like, no, seriously, like anywhere. And I started naming some fancy restaurants. She goes, I just really want Chick-fil-A. And I said, baby, it's your day. Today we'll get, she's like, then can we go to McDonald's and get Carmel Sundays? I said, just today because it's your day, but that's weird just so you know. But then I was thinking about, you know, when you have PMS, you just want Doritos and HEB cupcakes and things like that. So anyways, but the point around the shame is that one of my really, 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 really close friends who is very open-minded called me after she read an early copy of the book. And she said, I just can't believe that you shared your daughter's periods, first period story in the book. That's so personal. And I said, um, did you read the book? <laughs> and she said, yes, yes, but it's so shameful. I mean, she's going to be so embarrassed by that. And I said, that is exactly what we're trying to dissolve here. It is not shameful. It is not personal. It's not like I talked about any intimate details of her using a tampon or, you know, anything other than just her experience of her relationship or what it means to be a person who has a menstrual cycle. Mm. You know what I love so much about that is that I really do feel we, it's our responsibility as women to raise up our, the next generation, our daughters or whoever's daughters it may be to, to honor that that process and to, and to really embrace it and to really understand it and know it and to, yeah, to eradicate the stigma and shame that all of us grew up with. Every single one of us, you know, very rarely have I met a friend who it was celebrated, you know, it was just like tucked back there and it wasn't ever talked about. It was always a shameful thing in my family. For sure. And also not only that menstruation is shameful, but we are shamed because of when we're not well because of our periods, right? Then we get stigmatized even further by, oh, you're a bitch. You must be on your period right now. And if anybody's ever been on their period and had PMS and felt out of control, that's the last thing that it feels supportive or helpful. And so I think that the stigma has so many layers. I actually think it's from generations of stigma, from the earliest writings of the Bible that I talk about in the book, in the book of Leviticus, it says like, that thing is, this is like one of the first things written about women. That thing is so vile. It's as vile as a menstruating woman or the devil. And then Aristotle said, women are the inferior species because they menstruate. They are feeble. And we just lived right into that. Women pick up cars. We are not feeble. <laughs> women throw themselves in front of trucks for their children. There's nothing feeble about that. We're sort of superheroes that we've just forgotten about because we bought into this messaging that's been delivered to us in heavy, heavy, heavy doses since literally the beginning of written time. And I always think that's people like, oh, well, it's so negative. It's such a bummer. I'm like, it's only a bummer if you, if you can't just put it in the past and say, but today we're going to change that. And we're going to change that by starting with the conversations that we're having with our daughters. Absolutely. 100%. I am so happy that you shared that story for, about your daughter in her first period. It teaches us a different way of looking at things. 
And I know that your daughter is going to be so, and if she's not proud of you already, she's going to be so proud of you for doing the work that you're doing. Tell me a little bit about the book. What are we going to get in this beautiful book of yours? <laughs> I'm laughing because I always have a hard time encapsulating because I always have too much to say. So essentially what you're going to get. So the, the purpose of the book was sort of tell this larger story that we're talking about here. Like it, it was brought on by, you know, the, what we talked about at the beginning when I found out how many women were suffering and that when you combine that with the incidence of PCOS and endometriosis and infertility, you have numbers that represent an epidemic in my opinion. And so the book is the journey of my exploring the history. I was a linguist in my first career a long, long time ago and a cultural linguist. So I was interested in like, how did culture and language start to shape the way that we related to women and menstruation and reproduction and how has that influenced what's happening for us today? And, you know, a lot of people will tell me like, we've come so far and as actually we haven't. If you walk down the aisle at Target and you just look at every single box, either says, you know, sanitary or scented or discreet or hidden, or, you know, it, it basically reinforces this message that like you're dirty and stay out of the way and you need to hide this and sanitize it. I mean, the, recently I was reading an article that in the fifties, douching was incredibly popular and there, there were Lysol ads encouraging women to douche with Lysol because that would really sanitize your whole vagina so that your man would want you more. And so all of this is super interesting to me as someone who was really interested in integrative health. You can't ignore what happened in the past and be able to understand and change what's happening in the present. So the book takes you through the history of the menstrual cycle, what's happening in the menstrual cycle right now, the incidence of all of these problems, how that's holding women back from power and access to power and resources and then what to do about it. So how to understand and read your menstrual cycle to all the nitty gritties for each piece of color of blood, frequency of bleeding, viscosities, all, everything we talked about earlier on in, the, in this episode. And then the end is sort of a call to action to a call to arms of like, in order for us to change this, every woman and person with a period has to start talking about this. And even if you don't do anything about it, start thinking about it and start thinking about how this is impacting, how my menstrual cycle is signaling to me that it's not really in sync with the way that I'm caring for it. And so an example of that is maybe you're a vegan and, and you feel really good being a vegan. You have a weight that's appropriate for what you want to be and, and you feel really good, but then maybe your menstrual cycle's really not good. Maybe you have really bad anxiety and insomnia and fatigue, and you have a lot of PMS around your menstrual cycle, but because you've been taught, well, that's just my menstrual cycle. You don't associate it with maybe the way that you're eating for you because for some people they tolerate being a vegan very well, but some people do not tolerate it from, you know, the menstrual cycle is like the second layer, like on the surface, like, well, I feel good and I'm weight appropriate and I feel pretty happy. But then my menstrual cycle is really, really bad means that however you're eating or not eating or sleeping or exercising isn't working for you. And so the, that part of the book really um, helps people who read the book to understand how those signals are related and how they can start doing some, some split testing. I'm in the startup world. And so we do a lot of split testing of everything and then how to take action for it. If you read this book, it will be the equivalent of sitting down with me on the couch and drinking some wine and having a funny conversation about everything that I think would be useful for women to know about menstruation and moving forward. I love it. Oh my goodness. I'm so excited. 
for all of these incredible women to get their hands on it. I will have the link for Seen Red inside of the show notes here. It is on Amazon and all of the places books are sold. Kristen, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on and sharing your wisdom and sharing your, your mission. Anywhere else we can plug into you. Anywhere else we can find you. Well, if you want more, even more educational information, you can check out our blog at Forever Brazen. And we have an amazing Friday newsletter that goes out that is the collection of, basically we copied this off Tim Ferriss because I'm a complete devotee, but a collection of everything that we think is interesting around women's health, advocacy, music, podcasts that we're interested in, that we think would be interested to women who are, and people with periods who who are sort of in this mindset of working on themselves and seeing what's possible and trying to break free from their own you know, limitations. And if you have really bad PMS and cramping and you want to get started getting relief right now while you work on this, you can check out our products at Forever Brazen. You can find us at Instagram at Forever Brazen and Facebook at Forever Brazen. And you can find me at Kirsten Karchmer Official on Facebook, which is where I do most of my posting. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much again for jumping on and sharing. I can't wait. I can't wait for so many women to just feel so empowered, so many moms helping their daughters and really just shifting the conversation about how we take care of our bodies. And you are a part of that solution. So thank you. Well, thank you again for a fantastic conversation. We should continue to figure out ways to work together because I think we could be a definite dynamic duo. I love the work that you're doing and I love the idea of helping women to really take charge of their health. And just like calling it the CEO of your health is such a beautiful and empowering way to think about it because I think so often we feel disempowered in every way around our health and our cycles and around menopause. Can't wait to read that book as I'm 50. And really using that language to help reinforce the fact that you can be the chief of how almost everything goes in your life. It's so beautiful. I love it. And just thank you for your work. I really respect and admire you so much. So happy to be here. Me too. Have a good day, honey. Yeah, you too. Take care. I cannot tell you how grateful I am to Kristen for being another amazing hormone revolutionary, sharing her passion, mission, and truth about hormonal imbalance and teaching us the importance of recognizing if something isn't right with our bodies and our cycle. We need to stop normalizing PMS, PMDD, and pelvic pain. We are not meant to suffer in silence. If you would like to get to the bottom of your period questions and concerns, Kirsten's book is out right now and it is where it's at. My gosh, this book is filled with so many incredible aha moments and insights about our menstrual cycle. We really do need these types of resources in our lives and literally in our bookshelves. So I highly recommend grabbing her book, Seeing Red, on Amazon. I will have the link in the show notes for episode 147. Also, I want you to grab my best hormone detox remedies cheat sheet, especially if you're looking to start out. I know it's the wintertime. I know it's the holidays right now, but to start out your new year or even maybe December with some really incredible inflammation reducing recipes and protocols that can help you get you on your way. So again, the cheat sheet is drmarisa.com slash detox blends. It will also be in the show notes for episode 147. Thank you so much for stopping by and listening in to the Essentially You podcast. In the upcoming episode, I am bringing on a dear friend who I have no idea how he hasn't been on the show yet, but we are remedying that next episode. He is an OBGYN, Dr. Sean Tasson, and he is going to be dropping some truth bombs on how to age gracefully through hormone balance. 
I don't know about you, but I am so excited to hear what he has to say. He is such an integrative practitioner. He gets it. We've been friends for a long time, and I'm finally excited to share his brilliance with all of you. Until then, have an amazing day. Have a wonderful, wonderful holiday season. I hope you're spending time with family and and loving up on the people that you love most. I look forward to seeing you on the next episode. 